Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Anya Saravanan. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you're hearing us from. Today on Women on the Line, I'm so very excited to talk to one of my favorite media personalities, community radio extraordinaire, the funniest and the most stylish person I know, Ayan Sharwa. Welcome to the show, Ayan. Oh my God, thank you so much for having me. Also, please, please lower your expectations. (laughs) That is the nicest thing anyone has ever said about me. So I think I've done a pretty good job of introducing you, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself and the show that you're going to talk to us about today, Diaspora Blues. Cool. So my name's Jan. I'm a producer. I produce a show called Diaspora Blues, and I present and produce on Woman on the Line with Anya and the other fabulous broadcasters. So for Diaspora Blues, so it's a show hosted by two young African women, we look at all sorts of issues, right? We don't necessarily have a theme, but the people that we prioritise are African women or women of colour. How long has it been since the show started? So we started in March. So we had two episodes where we were physically in the studio and then we went into stage three lockdown. So since then, we've been doing everything Um, from home so interviewing people editing all that and that's been pretty tricky but thankfully because I've had experience doing women on the line I kind of know my way around but it's been I guess challenging for Big One Pasta because this is their first time doing radio and then now they've just been you know pushed into this new world where they're doing radio from home Absolutely. And on this new show, Diaspora Blues, what kind of content are you covering? In the beginning, to be honest, it was whatever we could get, right? So if we saw something, like I'd reach out to someone and be like, hey, come on the show. But right now we're a bit more discerning. So three weeks ago, as most listeners know, there was, oh, maybe a month ago, there was a hard lockdown. So nine towers across Melbourne were put into a hard lockdown where they were basically, you know, forced to stay indoors 24 hours. No, actually 23 hours. They had one hour where they could roam around. So as someone who lives in public housing, I was kind of like, oh, my God, that's Mm. happening to my friends. It's going to happen to me. So for me, I used radio as a way to get the word out. So I interviewed people who were in um, the North Melbourne Flats and the Flemington Flats and also family friends of people who were in the lockdown. Thankfully, I had 
radio as a way to advocate for them and as a way to get people to tell their own stories. Um, so for me, that's sort of been the highlight of producing radio. Mm. And what does the name mean? Why is it called Diaspora Blues? <laughs> Girl. Um, well, we're all, us three are African, so we're from the Afro diaspora. And it's also from a poem. I, f- I forget her name. I do apologize. But she's a poet and her her poem is called Diaspora Blues. So we were like, oh, that has a nice ring to it. And, you know, the blues as in, you know, melancholy and then the melancholy of living outside of your home and what does that look like? And how has the reception to the show been so far? It's been excellent, like so positive. You know, we've had recently Radio Skid reached out to 3CR and we're like, can we play Diaspora Blues on our radio station? So that's been very exciting. We've had people comment under our posts, on our Instagram posts, and now we can podcast, which means we can see how many people listen to our show. And it's been huge. Like we've, we've had huge numbers of people listening. And that's, that's something that I'm also cautious about because sometimes you can fall into that trap of, okay, so this story sells. So now I'm going to only interview people who have that type of story. But, yeah, it's, it's been really positive. Um, we've had people sharing our stuff on social media. You know, we've had friends of mine who've messaged me and gone, you know, I love the show, I love what you're doing. And some, sometimes you don't know who's listening unless someone tells you so. So you're putting all this work out there and you love it and everything. But it's a lot different when you get that positive feedback. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's a great show and I'm going to play a short excerpt from one of your latest episodes for our listeners later, so they'll get to hear that as well. You know, the the best part of the show, for me at least, is how diverse the interviewees have been or the people you talk to. And it's, you know, the sort of representation that we've always needed. And it's great that that's happening on your show. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been, like, intentional because the thing is, within the African community, we're very diverse, let alone, you know, people of colour as a whole, right? So we've spoken to people about podcasting, we've spoken to people about uh, architecture, we've spoken to people about, like, diversity in books, right? So within the African community, there's just so much diversity and I think what this show is doing is showing that, you know, just because you fall under the umbrella of, you know, the African community doesn't mean we're this, like, one community. Like, we're so diverse. We're not homogenous. And, you know, I'm glad that we were able to show that. Women on the Line On community stations around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. Don't forget you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You're now about to listen to a short excerpt of Diaspora Blues that aired on the 10th of August 2020. In this excerpt, creative director Nyandeng Mayen talks to Barstow about her art practice. To listen to the rest of the episode, you can visit www.3cr.org.au forward slash Diaspora Blues. After that, I return to my conversation with Ayan Sharva, producer of Diaspora Blues. So you 
You style shoots and stuff. You you set yeah. up your whole own little like. I'll be more in like creative directing and like um, styling. I do the photography. Shit, I've been recently doing the like the BTS videos. Yeah. So like recording like just like the models' personalities and the models are usually just like you know friends of mine or people that I just randomly like sometimes meet on the street. Usually like um Fastenese mm-hmm. women that I love, and I was like ah please I beg bless the world with your beauty but also just like what's your personality i feel like for me like to work with someone like i gotta get to know you Mm because it's very important for me like i feel like i love getting to know people yeah so like meeting halfway and just like you know getting to know the person and how they like you know who they are what they love Mm. what how they want to see themselves like in the photos so like talking about that and like mm. what photos like they love and stuff and what they look like into for like inspiration and stuff and how we can bring that together but right. also so like you know they can take that and just be able to like look at them and be like that's me you know hey. so many like uh, your your I talent want... is endless that's the thing here is wild <laughs> so all these ideas that you have yeah bro like they're all incredibly like you just valid because yeah. you can do all of that stuff literally. bro. you literally can and i've just like i've been yeah, learning about that and i've been learning to ask for help and it's been so amazing to kind of mm. be like because i used to like struggle to ask for help like a lot i'd be like i need to do everything by myself i'm gonna right. like you know i just like everything's by myself yeah. and i don't know like that's it, that's like capricorn it's <laughs> like i know it i know it <laughs> like i'm not gonna ask for help help me right. i'll fall down and i'll get back for up and what? get it I'm going to do it by myself. And then I was like, nah, this is not working. Mm. I'm lucky to have, you know, a lot of people in my life that, like, help me in just, like, so many ways. And a lot of friends that are just, like, so supportive. And I feel like that's another thing that's, like, I'm very grateful for that. There's a beauty in, in that help. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, like before before you ask for it, it seems like the most terrifying thing. Yeah. Like, um, And it feels like you're almost admitting defeat in a way. Yeah. Right? Um. So it's not easy at all, but like once you once you like have people in on that, like it's um, beautiful and it's, with you, yeah, it's uh, so beautiful and even more like just comes from it. You know what I mean? Uh, I get butterflies every time I think of my friends. It just like, I'm like oh my god, yo, oh, it's just amazing to know, you know. Bro, community is a beautiful thing. It's yeah. a it's an an incredible thing. Um, and yeah, man, like like it sounds like for you, like your your art is tied into the community, Definitely, and the community is tied into your art. Like it's oh, it's it, yeah. it's inseparable. Honestly, um, like, yeah, my home is like yeah, my home is my art, and it's it's crazy. It's just like when I think about it, sometimes it can be so intense and so emotional because I'm like it's that important to me, but it's also that inside of me that I can't like. At times, it's just like, oh, my God, like, this is overwhelming. I don't know what to do. Like, you know, it can be, like, really intense because it's, like, breaking that down and, like, trying to analyze it and perfect it in a way. And then just, like, thinking about that process. So these these shoots that you've been doing, where you're doing everything, but just <laughs> sometimes is- just a shoot with yourself and it's ah. modeled by you, styled by you just create creative direction by you, everything by you <laughs> lighting staged sets wow. all right so you you make this work i mean first and foremost for yourself but yeah. also like you mentioned for the community yeah. um and for the the people who you're working with mm. um i know you style people you style yourself yeah i know you you take photographs yeah I know you model. <laughs> you said no, you drop everything you do. 
don't have a I yearly. know you dance. Yeah, we do things. <laughs> I know you make mixes. You yeah. curate music. I'll be DJing. Musical experiences. Ooh. You DJ. Let's have your name up. Let's go. Listen. <laughs> I've been feeling good lately. Loki, you're a baba. Uh, I, I, oh, that. Listen. My mohawks I used to do. Exactly. God. Right. <laughs> You a makeup artist. Ooh, I be the doing looks my little things with my listen, eyes. Listen, right? And so on. <laughs> the the list is long, fam. The list is long. Um, and those are ways in which you channel like yeah. your art. But um, yeah. How would you describe yourself? Yandeng, I'm a South Sudanese woman. <laughs> I honestly tell me. I just describe myself as Yandeng. When I say Yandeng, I say in like the most loving way, in the most I'm learning and growing with myself way that I'm like, I'm this amazing, like, oh, yeah. I'm this amazing South Sudanese woman who's like a director that's working towards just like, you know, growing and learning with myself, within myself and traveling the world and also just like doing so many things and also like, I'm just, I'm Yandeng. <laughs> really interesting that we're having this conversation at this point in time because I just saw a report released by Media Diversity Australia which is a not-for-profit organization run by journalists and communication professionals and the report released some really um, stark statistics about diversity in television news and current affairs media and some of the key findings are that more than 75% of presenters, commentators and reporters have an Anglo-Celtic background compared to just 6% having an Indigenous or non-European background, and that 77% of respondents with culturally diverse backgrounds believe that their backgrounds are a barrier to career progression. Now, that's a whole heap of numbers I've just thrown at you and at the listeners, but, you know, and also fully aware that this report is about a particular sector of the media. But the basic underlying finding is that our media isn't representative of us as a community. And there have been so many reports and discussions about this issue, and I'm really interested to talk to you about this next. Before we really get into the nitty gritty of it, firstly, and this is a basic question, but let's start from there. What is the need for diverse representation in media? Well, there's, there's definitely a need for diversity, um, considering that one in four Australians are born overseas. And um, I think the figures were 46% of Australians have at least one parent who was born overseas. So um, it's definitely an issue of reality, right? D- diversity is a reality debate because you know, the reality is that Australia is not a white nation, right? Um, So it would only make sense that the media should reflect that reality. So there's definitely a need. But I do, I I know the report that you're talking about. I had a quick read of an article that talked about the report. And for me and you and any anyone that's on the margin, this is not shocking, right? It's only shocking to people who live in a bubble. But I do worry even though this research is fantastic and it needs to be put out there, like what will it achieve, right? Because it's not the first of its sort. Maybe it's the first that's this comprehensive, but, you know, what will this report do, right? Like it might get attention for an entire week, but how will this change the newsrooms? You know, does that mean now we're going to have quotas? Does that mean, you know, we're going to look at the way we recruit people from you know, our community, like, is that going to change or is this just another report that comes out, we get excited about it and then we move on to the next thing. 
yeah, I think we all share the same sort of concerns. You know, coming back to one of the statistics that I just shared, that 77% of respondents with culturally diverse backgrounds believe that backgrounds are a barrier to career progression. Forget career progression, the entry point into this career. What are the sort of barriers that stop people from even entering this industry? Oh, my God, girl, it is so lengthy, right? I love that people have noticed that it starts early, right? So we're talking about primary school, high school. When I think back to my days in high school, right, especially in VCE, we had career counsellors. And I don't know about you, Anya, my career counsellors gave us really bad advice, right? Mm -hmm. So growing up, all the ethnic kids were pushed into vocational work, right? Obviously, there's nothing wrong with vocational work. I think that's important. But as career counsellors, they need to give us a diversity of options, right? So we're already being told what we're capable of doing, what we're not capable of doing. And that kind of, that kind of advice sticks with you, right? Also, getting into journalism is really hard. You need, I don't know if it's changed, but you need at least 75% and above, like an enter score of 75% and above. You know, if you're the first in your family, you don't know this. This is not information that comes naturally to you. You have to seek out that information, right? And, you know, as I mentioned, I was the first to go to uni and I had no one to tell me how uni worked. I didn't even know what electives were. I was just told, pick electives. And I had no idea. You pick electives according to where you want to go, right? The electives should complement your course and your the direction of your future I had no idea nobody told me this and even with universities the expectation is once you get in there you you sort of know what you're supposed to be doing and it's it's sort of assumed that you know you have family or friends who know these things and that's not true I was the first in my family my friend was the first in her family right so we're contending with all these issues of being firsts and even like even knowing how to study is a skill. No one taught me how to study. And I went to a very like poor performing school. And for us, it was just a matter of passing. We were never taught how to excel or, you know, how to study or how to write essays. Like, do you know what I mean? We were told the basics, but then you go to uni and you're competing with these people who their entire like schooling has been how to get good grades or how to study effectively. We never had that. So There's all these issues and let's just say, okay, so let's say you pass all those stages. Now you're in these newsrooms, right? Cool. Now you're working and now you've got to deal with, Anya, all these other issues, right? Now you've got to deal with um, microaggressions in the workplace or just being in an environment that's not for you. So now you're trying to fit into this new world and there are people who don't want you to be there. So I don't know. I feel like the issue is so huge and I personally don't know where you would start, but I think it's important to not just, you know, talk about once we're in there, we have to start talking about, you know, what happens before then. Yeah. It also seems like the right time to sort of shift this narrative from personal about, you know, your grades and what you're doing and more about how the institution stops you from from getting in and then progressing and succeeding and all of that. Absolutely. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, women on the line. Women on the line.
speak for you, but you know, I've been involved in community radio for about two years or, or slightly more. And I've met very cool people from all sorts of, you know, cultural and religious backgrounds who do really interesting work. How is it that community media organizations are able to attract and retain this sort of diverse talent when mainstream media outlets seem to be struggling to do that? Mm. Well, because I haven't worked in mainstream media, it's hard for me to compare. But for me personally, Anya, what I like about community radio is that like the relative ease in which you can become a radio producer, like all you do is a training course and then you're put into the hot seat, right? There's none of that. There's none of those like obstacles that you have to go through. Like no one tells you, hey, you've got to do one year of ABC before you can actually get behind this chair. So I think that ease in which you can sort of progress in community radio, I think that attracts people. And also there's none of that punishment vibe. Do you know what I mean? I'm just thinking about when I first started radio, I used to make so many mistakes on air. Those mistakes didn't make me or break me, right? I was told, hey, look, this is what you did wrong. This is how you can improve. But I was never told, hey, you made three mistakes this week. You're out of here. That attracts people. That makes people want to stay. And obviously there are issues in community radio. You know, I'd be silly to pretend like we're this rainbow community and we're not. But the the way we look at mistakes or the way we look at progression, it's not very, it's not black and white. There's a lot of support. And I have never been told, hey, yeah, you can't do this. I've been told this is how we can support you achieve this, right? And maybe that's just been my experience, but I think the love and care and um, the space to grow, that is very important. Yeah, the importance and community seems to be the main factor that retains and then grows this talent. But I guess the reality of being involved in community media organizations is that a lot of that labor is unpaid, you know, because of funding issues and, and whatnot. And when we move to paid territory, then the diversity um, decreases rapidly. My question is, how do we get people like us paid? <laughs> Uh, what was it? What was it that Rihanna said? Give me my money. Well, I don't want to see, <laughs> say the B word, but give me my money. No, that's a really good question. Um, it's also a very complex issue, right? Mm. First of all, if you're ever interested in getting into community radio, you have to make sure that you understand there's no money to be made in community radio. With community radio, Anya, there's not enough paid gigs, right? So you've got to sit down with yourself and you've got to think to yourself, you know, is this feasible, right? And for a lot of people, it isn't, right? I live in the city, right? And for me, it's very easy for me to, you know, go to the station. It's just a walking distance. But if you live in the outer suburbs and you don't drive, you've got to take public transport. That costs money, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to present and produce a show, you, you have to come into the studio at least twice a week. So back and forth trips are like $10. Three times that you're in that studio, that would cost you $30 in public transport. That's not possible for a lot of people. And if Centrelink is the only way you're making money, you know, you're, you're not going to think that this is like something that's sustainable. You know, you're less likely to stick around because you're thinking, look, is this worth it? I'm not getting paid for it. 
you know, I'm actually losing money coming into the station. So I don't know. I think you've got to just ask yourself, is this something that I want to be involved with? Is this something I can afford? And if you can, cool. And it just makes me wonder about the kind of talent we're losing. For example, the the lockdown that happened a couple of weeks ago, which you were talking about earlier, you know, there were people who were doing amazing journalism just through Instagram and they weren't getting paid and they did it out of, you know, their own goodwill to help the community and to be able to represent what's happening there genuinely and not lose it in, you know, mainstream media coverage. And that was wonderful journalism, whether or not they thought it was journalism, it absolutely was. And just, you know, I just wish there was some way to monetize it and make it actually a career opportunity for people like that. But also create those opportunities, right? And I don't know, it's maybe it's the station's duty to go, look, you know, there aren't any positions at the moment, but what if we can create that position? What if we can ask for funding to create that position? And um, I don't know, I guess it's up to the station to do that, but you're right. Like, all these incredible presenters and producers are doing excellent work, right? And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's free labour, but community radio isn't about money. Do you know what I mean? So you've got to contend with, you know, can I do it for free? I mean, that's how I think about it, you know. I, I always ask myself, is this something that I can do over four, five years? You know, can I can I produce hours and hours of content for free? And I don't know, like if I had a second job, if I had a job to supplement the radio, cool, that's fine. But if this is my only income or this is the only thing I'm doing at the moment, then it gets in the way. Like it gets in the way of looking for work. If you're putting at least 10 hours into radio, it's hard to also put other hours into looking for work or sustaining paid work. And a lot of the people who can do that are people who, you know, are tertiary educated or people who um, can easily find work. Some of us can't easily find work because of who we are and our background. So it it definitely, like, whether we want to admit it or not, there are certain people who can do community radio because they have that safety net. Mm. If you're listening to this and you are interested in Diaspora Blues, no pressure, but if you are interested, um, you can listen to us every Mondays at 2.30pm. We're also on Instagram at 3cr.diasporablues. We also have a 3CR page. And now we can also podcast, which means the episodes will be online forever. And that's all for Women on the Line today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Women on the Line is a national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is produced by Ripley Cavera. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. See you next time.